you may be seated, and uh, I would like for you to open your Bibles to Psalm 124. Psalm 124. We continue our summer series we've called Safe Passage. We're looking at 15 particular psalms, and they're all, uh, there's a little heading in your Bibles that explains why these psalms are different from others, and they're called Psalms of Ascents, meaning that people were ascending, going up as they were singing those psalms as they went to worship in Jerusalem. As we have established life as a highway, we're all on a journey. We're, we're focusing on the spiritual part of our journey. And as we look at the physical journey that these pilgrims are going on to get to Jerusalem and to worship God there, we're trying to relate those lessons to our own spiritual journeys. For example, we started talking about the place of departure, where we leave. Where do we leave from? We leave from the self-centeredness of the world, where, where things are not the way they're supposed to be. Now, where do we go on this spiritual journey? What is the point? What is the destination? It's God's presence. To be in His presence, to be finally, eventually in His holy city, in the heavenly city where we will be completely at peace and at rest, and things will return to the way they're supposed to be. And as we travel on this journey, as we talked about last week, we need to focus on Him because there are many distractions. We need to focus on God, on His throne, meaning that He is powerful and sovereign over our lives, but also on His hands, the pierced hands of Jesus that reach into our lives and care for us and, and love us and guide us. So that's what we've been talking about. And today, we're going to talk about hope. Like many pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem, we too get tired on our spiritual journey. We get discouraged. We get overwhelmed by the difficulties of the road. How do you get through those tough stretches? How do you survive those dark seasons in your faith? Or those dry seasons where God doesn't feel real, He doesn't seem close it seems like reality just sort of caves in and you just feel like giving up. You say, this is too hard. I'm just going to sit down here in the middle of the road and say, this is it. I'm not going to go any further. It's just too hard. I'm too tired. I don't see my destination anymore. All I see is just obstacles. How do you not lose hope in a time like that when your life falls apart and you say, where is God? Why isn't He helping me? Why isn't He close? Do you feel like that? Some of you feel like that today. And I know that because I sent out a sermon preview email and I got a response from someone from the church who says, I need to hear the sermon now. It's preached to me today on Friday because that's how I feel. And maybe you feel like that too, that, that hope seems to be out of reach for you. And if you don't feel that way, you will or you have. We all struggle with that. We all get tired and overwhelmed and discouraged on our journey. So what I'd like us to do today is I would like us to learn what the psalmist, this poet, does to restore hope in his life. I would like to learn first, work through this text, and see how he does it. And then we will practice it. So there's a spiritual exercise in store for you today. We're going to learn it, and then we're going to do a trial run together and then I'm hoping to send you off so you can do it at home by yourself or in your families when it gets hard, when it gets discouraging, so that you know what to do. 
So let's read our psalm together, Psalm 124, and then we'll learn and practice how to restore hope. Psalm 124, a song of a sense of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us a spray to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is our text. These are the very words of God. Let's listen to what he will tell us today. Now, what does the psalmist do to deal with discouragement and difficulties of the journey? He does what many believers in Scripture do. If you read through the Bible, you read the Psalms, you read the prophets, you read the New Testament epistles, this is a common exercise. We look back at what God has done so we can look forward to what God is yet to do. So we look back and reflect on what God has done and who He is, and that fuels our hope and confidence for the future. We remember there's a spiritual memory at play here. We remember what God has done, what He is like, and that fuels our hope. It gives us energy to keep going. So our psalmist here makes use of two questions, and this is your outline. It's very simple. Two questions we're handling today. The first one is, what if? What if? He's asking, what if God was not on our side? Terrifies him to think of that. And then the second question is, so what? So what? If God wasn't on our side, what would have happened? And how do I now apply that to my life today? I'm going to look back and I'm going to remember. And now I'm going to see how it applies to me today. So let's work through these two questions as we learn the spiritual exercise before we ourselves practice it. What if and so what? The psalm starts with imagining what it would have been like if the God of Israel had not been on the side of his people. This is a terrifying thought for a believer. Notice how the psalmist stops mid-sentence. Read the psalm carefully. He starts by saying, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and then he pauses, and his heart drops. And so he regroups, and he says, let Israel now say, he calls on the community to help him sing the song, and he says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, and he tries to imagine what it would have been like. The thought of the Lord's absence from Israel history is so shocking to him. It's so terrifying to him, he can't even finish his sentence. You know that feeling, right? When you imagine what could have been, what could have happened. You know, that's that feeling when you find your toddler in the medicine cabinet trying to open something. That's that feeling. You're like, I'm just in time. I'm so glad I'm here because something terrible could have happened is that feeling when you narrowly avoid a car accident. 
and you think, man, this, this is so close, and your heart drops, right? You know, what I'm, you know that feeling I'm talking about. It's a feeling of, of throwing a dart at your brother's head and knowing that you've missed his eye only by an inch. I am familiar with that feeling. You may not be, but it's that feeling. Your heart drops, and you realize something terrible could have happened if things didn't go just the way they went. What the psalmist does here is he is, he is doing counterfactual history. If you read books, there are books that are written in this genre, counterfactual history. People imagine what things could have been like if something didn't happen in the past. For example, there's a book out right now uh, that's called Dominion by uh, C.J. Sanson, and he imagines England if, if Winston Churchill did not win the election and the Great, Great Britain would have signed peace with Germany and became its satellite power. So if it didn't go the way it went, if England wasn't at war with Germany, how would things be now? He imagines that. Well, that's what the psalmist is doing. He's saying, if the Lord wasn't on our side when we left Egypt and when we went through the desert and when we went into the promised land with all those enemies, what would have happened to us? He's imagining, what if, what if the Lord was not involved? And it's terrifying because he's saying, what would have happened? We would have died. How could we have withstood this highly trained Egyptian army? when we dragged our women and children behind in the desert. No weapons, exhausted from the journey. And thousands of chariots come after us. If the Lord had not been on our side, they would have slaughtered us all. If the Lord did not part the sea, if the Lord did not allow us to go through the sea on dry ground, we would have been swallowed up by the raging waters of the sea. Or maybe later when we crossed Jordan, the Jordan River, and the Lord parted the waters then, if he didn't do that, we would have drowned. Our children would have drowned. And so he imagines that. He plays history back as if the Lord was not involved. And it just scares him. It scares him. As unsettling as it is to ask the what-if question, it is so good for our faith to do that. Because if you ask those questions and imagine what your life would have been like if the Lord had not been on your side and not involved in your life, you learn to appreciate Him, you learn to notice what He's doing, you learn about His character. I often hear Christians who are going through a particular difficult struggle like cancer or losing a loved one. They say, as hard as, as it is for me to deal with, the, with what I'm dealing with right now. I can't imagine what it would have been like if I didn't have the Lord in my life. And there's, there's a, a natural bewilderment in their voice. They're saying, how could somebody go through stuff like that without the Lord? That's not a unique response. Most Christians respond that way because we know, if we just think just for a minute, what it could be had the Lord not been on our side. I remember myself, and my story is not at all unique. I remember being in the hospital with my wife. My daughter had a stroke. We're talking to the doctor and, and just handling the diagnosis of, of, of her lifelong struggle. And knowing that two surgeries are before us, 
listening to all that, I remember thinking, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I have the Lord. How could I have gone through it without my Father's wisdom? His words spoken into my heart even as we struggle. And without the Son's example, knowing that He suffered so we can suffer well too. And without the Holy Spirit's comfort. I can't explain. It's mystical. But the Holy Spirit comes and holds you together through those dark times. All of you have stories like that. You look back at your life and you say, if it wasn't for the Lord, what if the Lord wasn't there? What would it have been like? This is a good spiritual discipline to imagine what things could have been had the Lord not been in your life. Now, as you think about what could have been, the next step is to move to what actually was, what actually happened. And that's what the psalmist does. He looks back at the history of Israel and he says to himself, yes, it would have been terrible if the Lord had not been on our side, but he was on our side. He is involved in the life of Israel and in my life. And so he remembers what actually happened and summarizes it beautifully in verse 7. He says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. What is he talking about? Well, any situation where the Lord has delivered you, but particularly the Exodus, as they left Egypt, and the Lord delivered them from the Egyptian army, as they walked through the sea, and the Lord delivered them from the waters, as they walked into the land of promise, and the Lord delivered them from the hostile peoples in the land. He looks back and he says, the Lord was there. We have survived. We have escaped. When everything seemed hopeless, the Lord came through and He saved us. It's so important for us to look back and remember what the Lord did. Because as we do that, we understand what He is like. We learn about His nature and His character based on His works in your life. Uh, George, George Ernest Wright, he was a theologian, uh, mid-20th century, uh, was here in Chicago, taught at one of the Chicago seminaries, wrote a book that's called The God Who Acts. And he says this, Biblical theology is first and foremost a theology of recital, in which the biblical man confesses his faith by reciting the formative events in his history as the redemptive handiwork of God. The realism of the Bible consists in its close attention to the facts of history and of tradition because these facts are the facts of God. He's saying that as we look back, and that's what people do in the Bible, they continue to recite, repeat, and, and perform again what, what happened before. And so they remember what God did in their lives because those are the facts of God. This is how we know God is real. This is how we know that God is the way He is based on what He did in our lives. And now this call to remember extends to the community. The psalmist sa says, let Israel now say. He wants others to join Him in remembering and rejoicing what God has done in their history. And so he turns to his community and says, let Israel now say. You know, this is important because this is one of the reasons why we should come to church every Sunday. 
This is where our community recalls and recites the facts of God. We remember what God has done for us. We ponder His work of salvation. We meditate on His mighty works at church. That's one great benefit of being here every Sunday. Because we all gather together and we remember and we recite and we rejoice in what God has done. Much like what the psalmist does here. Now imagine all these people going to Jerusalem, singing the psalm together. And singing words like, the snare is broken, we have escaped. Feeling free because the Lord is on their side. When I think about church, and this may be a weird analogy for you, so bear with me, okay? Do you remember that SNL? This is where it gets weird. Do you remember Chris Farley uh, doing an interview with, with Paul McCartney? Some of you remember, you can YouTube, but it's very funny. Uh, he's, he's this over-anxious fan trying to talk to his idol, and he doesn't have any questions. <laughs> he just wants to reminisce as what happened. And so he would start his questions by saying, uh, Paul, do you remember when you were in the Beatles? That was awesome. That, that was his interview. Paul didn't get to say very much. Friends, this is church. That's exactly what we do together when we gather. We look at each other and we say, do you remember? Do you remember when God became flesh? Jesus was born as a human baby, tiny, unprotected. Mary holding him in the manger. Do you remember that? And somebody should respond, that was awesome. That was awesome. Do you remember that? And then we say, do you remember when Jesus walked the earth and he healed people? And he fed people. And he taught people. Do you remember that? That was incredible. Remember that one time when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead? Do you remember that? Do you remember he was in the grave? Lazarus was in the grave for days. His body was decomposing. It was stinky. And Jesus comes to the grave and Jesus says what? Come out, Lazarus. And Lazarus comes out. Do you remember that? That was awesome. That was crazy. Jesus did that. And then do you remember when Jesus was on the cross? Innocent dying for the guilty. Stretching out his arms to hug you from the cross because he loves you. Do you remember that? When the Son of God died for your sins. That was so good of God to do that. And then you remember, three days later, right? The resurrection. The women come to the tomb, but he's not there. He's not there. They can't find him because he's alive. And then he appears to them and he teaches them. He says, this is exactly the way it was supposed to happen. Do you remember when the disciples finally got it? It clicked. And they're like, now it makes sense. Now all that you've said makes sense. All that you did makes sense. That was a great moment. When the light went on in the disciples' mind. It was great. And then do you remember when Jesus, Jesus ascended to be with the Father? Just so he can pray for you, so he can rule over his church, so he can make sure that you have access to God at all times. 
taken on a ministry of a high priest, an advocate for you. We have a man in heaven. We can always go to the Father because of Jesus. Do you remember that? Awesome. Awesome. And then Jesus promised to return. Man, what a day that would be when, when Jesus comes back. In glory, in power, no one can oppose him. His kingdom now established forever. That's great. Friends, that's church. I just did what we're supposed to do every time we get together. We look back and we say, you remember what happened? Do you remember what God did? And then we rejoice over it. We sing and dance over what God has done. This is the gospel. These are the facts of God. We remember and recite them to one another. All right, so that's the what-if question. What if God wasn't on our side, and now we remember that he was on our side, and now the so what question. So what? If we simply remember, but it doesn't affect us now, that's eh, maybe a cool exercise, but it doesn't really matter, does it? The so what question is answered with two things. There's praise and there's trust. Praise comes first. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. He remembered what God did. And now his heart can't help but praise God. That's normal. That connection is, is true. It's accurate. As we remember what God has done, as we think about who he is and his nature and his attributes, his love for us, of course, of course, you can't help but worship Him. You can't help but say, blessed be the Lord for what He's done. J.I. Packer, who was a professor in, uh, in Canada, was an influential theologian of our time. He is reportedly, he starts every theology lecture in class by singing the doxology. And we'll sing that, that song at the end of the service. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, that song. He sings it before he starts teaching. Then he prays, and then he says to his students, he says, the goal of theology, my friends, is doxology. Meaning that we study in order to praise. We focus on God in order to engage our hearts and our minds to praise God, to worship Him. That's normal. The more you see God, the more you realize what what he is like, how beautiful, how wonderful, how loving he is, how majestic, how holy God is, of course, your heart will be moved to worship him. Perhaps part of your struggle on the spiritual journey is feeling like God isn't close to you anymore. Feeling like when you sing, if you do sing at church, uh, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really connect with you emotionally. Your heart isn't really engaged. Uh, maybe you feel like you're, you're just so discouraged and tired on the journey, you, you can't really worship Him. And so how do you overcome that struggle? Because you kind of want to worship. But, but how do you overcome that? And some people say, well, you know, just, just, just think about your emotions. You know, stir yourself up. You know, just liberate your emotions. You know, do all that. that. That's not the answer. The problem is not really with your devotion and your emotions. The problem is a theological problem. You don't see God very clearly anymore. 
And when you see Him, when you remember what He's done, when you focus on what He is like, then you will worship. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I tend to find that the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. And I rather suspect that the same experience may await many others. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings unbidden while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. Good image. Pipe in your teeth, pencil in your hand, you're working through a theological book. And as you do that, Lewis says, you'll learn more about God. You see him more clearly. And so your heart sings unbidden. You're not making your heart sing. It just sings because it can't help itself. That is the experience of many Christians. And so if you are struggling emotionally on your spiritual journey, may I suggest to you that you focus on God. Don't focus on your emotions. Don't bemoan that you don't feel something. Think about God. Meditate on Him. Study Him. Read your Bibles. Learn about the great works of God and the great character traits of God. And as you do that, your heart will sing unbidden. Your emotions will follow your thoughts and your perceptions of God. Now finally, this is the final part of the spiritual exercise that we're learning. This worship that is based in remembrance of what God has done and what He's like now leads to trust for the future. Look at verse 8. The psalm ends with this verse. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Hope has returned. Look at that. Hope has returned. Discouragement has lifted. The pilgrim has renewed his commitment to press forward, to keep going on the journey into God's presence. He is confident that God will be his help in the future. How did he get there? He got there by doing this what-if exercise and remembering what God has done and responding in worship to who God is. He's been reminded now that God is a God who saves. God is a God who helps. God is a God who is faithful to his people. And as he remembered that, now he looks into the future and says, of course, he will continue to be faithful. Of course, he will continue to love me. He will continue to help me, and he will save me. Even though all these obstacles seem so great, God is greater, because look at what he's done in the past. This is how it works. You look back, and you remember. You remember who God is. You remember what he's done, and that gives you confidence and hope for the future. If you are discouraged and tired on your spiritual journey, don't waste your time wondering what God is going to do. Remember what He has done and remind yourself of who He is. Don't waste your time on wondering what He will do, but look back and remember what He has done and remember what He is like. That will restore hope for you. Now what I'd like to do now at the end of the sermon 
I'd like to do a trial run of this. I'm going to do it for myself, okay? I need some hope too. And as I run through it, I'm going to put it in a prayer, okay? So as you listen to me, I'm, I'm praying I'm going to address God. But I'd like you to be there with me, to go through the steps with me. I, I won't give you an outline. I just want you to get into the flow of my prayer. And as I do that, I'd like you to learn, to practice, maybe for the first time, how to get out of discouragement and tiredness on the spiritual journey. You can do that by journaling. You can do that by talking to someone else or by listening to someone else. You can do that by praying. You can put it into song. Whatever medium is good for you, do that. I will put it in a prayer. And what I'd like you to do is just follow along, okay? If you need to close your eyes, that's okay. Take it in. Don't fall asleep, okay? But if you need to close your eyes, if it helps you to listen, do that. Lord, if you had not been on my side, if you had not been on my side, I would still be dead in my sins. I would still be a child of wrath, a slave to sin, a servant of Satan, blind to your beauty and your love. Lord, I don't want to forget who I was without you. I was living in the passions of my flesh, ruled by my sinful nature, Lord, I was so helpless to resist it. And the guilt, I could, I could not get rid of it. I didn't know then, but I know now that I was guilty of offending you. And so, of course, my guilt was great. It was proportionate to your holy and righteous character and nature. Father, I felt no purpose. Before I met you, I could not find any meaning in life. Now, sure, I pretended to be spiritual, but all that worldly spirituality just showed how rotten I was inside. I could fake it in front of others, but I knew who I was. And I was ashamed. I was ashamed, but I could not change myself. The thoughts that I had, they were were so disgusting. I, I couldn't stop them. My twisted desires were, were not under my control. And I pursued pleasure, but it, it never fulfilled me. And sometimes I tried to ignore it, try to numb myself with alcohol and other things, but when I sobered up, the dull pain in my heart was still there. I know now that I missed you even before I knew you. It's so painful for me to even think back on who I was before you came. But that's who I was. If you had, been on my, had not been on my side, I would have been utterly lost. And yet, Lord, you came to my rescue. You are on my side so I will remember your works. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work, Father. I'll meditate on all your mighty deeds. I will recite the facts of God. The Word became flesh 
The eternal Son of God was born as a human baby. He lived a life full of purpose and meaning. Oh, Jesus showed us how to live. He came to preach the gospel to me because I was poor. He came to proclaim freedom to me because I was oppressed. He came to make me see because I was blind. Lord, you did not leave me by myself to figure it out, but you came to me. Lord, you came for me. How much you must have loved me to do all that. Jesus took my place on that cross, bore the full weight of your terrible wrath. Oh, well deserved, but I couldn't handle that. Jesus took my sin. Jesus offered me his righteousness. When I think about it, I can hardly believe it that God would exchange his righteousness for my sin. Your grace is is something foreign to me. I'm not used to grace. But you showed it to me. You took my guilt away. You cleansed me from my shame. And when Jesus rose from the dead, you gave me a new life. Life of joy in your presence. A life that will never end. Because you never end, Lord. And your joy cannot be exhausted. I will proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Jesus came to my rescue like an older brother confronting a bully, saving me, taking care of me, protecting me. Your Spirit got a hold of my heart, changed me, gave me a new nature, fitting for this new covenant with you. Your Spirit has continued to guide me even now, teaching me, convicting me, sustaining me, protecting me, and comforting me all the time, never leaving me. Lord, these are your facts. This is true. This is reality. I will remember. I will recite it. I am a forgetful person, but I don't want to be forgetful. I want to remember what you've done. And as I look at what you've done, Lord, I am overwhelmed with gratitude. How can I not praise you? Bless the Lord, O my soul. The snare is broken and I have escaped. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise Him, for He is my health and my salvation. It is so sweet, Father, to be in Your presence, to behold Your beautiful face and to know that You love me. You love me with all the perfections of your holy character, with all the excellencies of your divine nature, with all the force of your omnipotence and wisdom of your omniscience. You love me. Seems weird that you would love me, but you love me. I'm so grateful. My heart sings unbidden. You are a great God, ushering a new covenant into my life. Of course, I have been tired. I 
I have thought about quitting. The obstacles seem too great. The enemies too strong. Lord, I forgot who you are and what you have already done for me. If I quit following you, where else could I go? Could I find someone more beautiful, more loving, more powerful than you are? I can't. You have the words of eternal life. I will press on. I won't stop. Now that I remember, now that I know you are a saving God, I will remember and I'll hold on to this truth that you are on my side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against us? God's chosen people. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God right now, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus. Through Him who loved us. Lord, I am sure, as I reflect on Your works and on who You are, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. That's your trial run. Do that. Do that for yourself. Look back. Imagine things happening differently if the Lord had not been on your side. Remember what actually happened. Look back to the cross and the facts of God. And as you do that, respond in worship. And that will result in hope and trust for the future. We're ready to come to the table. This is another tool from our gracious God to remind us of himself. We are forgetful people. And so we come to the table, and what do we see? Body broken, blood spilled for us. This is a reminder. So as you come, remember what God has done for you. We're going to have this time a little bit quieter than usual. We're going to have an instrumental song. As you come up, reflect on what God has done for you. And then as you return to your seats, we'll pray and we'll sing our final song and encourage each other through singing. Let's pray and take communion together. Father, we praise you. We remember what you have done. We confess our inadequacies. We confess our sins. We confess our lack of memory and lack of trust. But we know that the Holy Spirit can revive us now. May he return hope into our hearts even as we come to this table. Lord, I pray that you would accept us on the basis of Jesus' blood and his resurrection. We come because we love you, because you loved us first.